Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. This morning we <clears throat> conclude our series of messages through the book of Hebrews. Uh, I promised you one sermon per chapter. This is the bonus. Uh, I don't feel like I'm reneging. It was Randy who preached last week on chapter 13, so <laughs> we're okay. But what a fantastic journey. What an amazing ride. R.C. Sproul once said that uh, if he was allowed to have only one book of the New Testament on a desert island, it would be the book of Hebrews. He said, some people thought I would say the book of Romans because of its deep theology and its ex exposition of, of the gospel of grace. He said, well, this is R.C. Sproul speaking. He says, I've got Romans pretty well down. I need to understand Hebrews. But for a sustained presentation of the atoning work of Christ, for the prolonged presentation of the magnificence of his work, you just can't beat the book of Hebrews. And so I pray that over these last couple of months, Hebrews has become a new friend for you, uh, that you've become acquainted with something of the contours of this book. And now when you turn to this part of the Word of God, you read it, with some understanding and it comes to you with, with, with a new clarity and uh, with a new ability to place it into the context of what God has done for us in Christ. So uh, we conclude our, our journey through the book of Hebrews uh, this morning. I just want to remind you of where we've been just uh, a little bit. Um, actually, uh, I, I was sort of tempted to just read the whole book of Hebrews back to you, uh, but having... Um, fought that temptation. I will do this, however. Turn back to chapter 1. Now, I hope you have your text in front of you. Always have the text in front of you. Always have it in your hand so that you touch the Word of God, and hear the Word of God, and see the Word of God. If you've got a new Bible, it's okay to smell the Word of God. No, I'm not going to chew on the corner, but just taste and see that He is good. Okay. So have the word in front of you. We, we look at Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to uh, look at verse 2. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. I mean, that, now you know why he's, he said that all these months ago. It wasn't just a throwaway line. He was talking to readers who had been tempted to go back to the synagogue, back to the old covenant. After all, there you had the prophets and there you had uh, the, the Torah. And it was easy to think that, well, if I go back there, I'll have God speaking to me. After all, he spoke in various ways at various times through the prophets. I mean, wasn't that good enough? And the Hebrew starts out right out of the gate. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through a son. He has spoken to us through Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, now you know why he said that. 
Now you know that later on in the book he's going to talk about going into the heavenly tabernacle where Jesus Christ poured out his blood, the perfect sacrifice, once for all, taking his blood into the most holy place of heaven and there offering his blood that we might be forgiven a sacrifice once for all. Now you know why he's listing that here in the opening paragraph. I wanted you to see that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so he begins at the, at, the, at the opening paragraph, pointing us to Christ, pointing us to the supremacy of Jesus, that he is absolutely superior, much greater than the prophets, not like some angel, a messenger of God who brings some word to God's people, but rather he is superior, absolutely superior to the angels. After all, to which angel did God... Well, look at it. This is verse 8. But of the Son, he says, who says? God says. This is what God says about Jesus. All right? This isn't your pastor speaking. He's reading it, but, but this is God speaking. Of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever. When God says about Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever, don't let anybody ever tell you the New Testament never says that Jesus is God. God says Jesus is God. And your New Testament records it. That, that's where we are with this. The, the superior nature of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, just in front of us right at the very beginning. I loved how we were singing just a moment ago. I'm saving my voice. That's, not why, that's why I'm not singing. Saving my back. That's why I'm not standing up. But folks, I'm standing up, hands raised in spirit. <laughs> he paid the debt. He paid it all. Not part of it, but he paid it all. I love that introduction. So, so we start there, and that cues us in that we're going to be concentrating on Jesus. Turn to chapter 3, verse 1. This is the theme verse of the book of Hebrews. If anybody calls you up at 1 o'clock in the morning and says, what's the theme of the book of Hebrews? This is what you tell them, okay? Just have that down. It's going to happen this week. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Why are you considering other things? Why are you considering the things of the world? Why are you considering a retreat back into the synagogue? Why are you considering a retreat back into the old way of life? Why are you con considering a compromise of your Christian values? Why are you considering a retreat from Christ Consider Jesus. Absolutely alone. Consider Jesus. And this Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. That's the rest of the book right there. That Jesus Christ is the one whom, on whom we focus, and he is the apostle of our confession. An apostle is somebody sent on a mission with a message from the master. Moses was an apostle of the old covenant, Moses was the one who was sent on a mission with a message for the Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, to lead the children out of Egypt, to lead them to the promised rest, to the promised land. And the book of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is a superior apostle, apostle to Moses, that Jesus is far greater than Moses. Moses was like a servant in the household. Jesus is 
a son. And we too are on an exodus journey as Jesus is leading us out of the darkness of our sin into the bright light of his glory, leading us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, leading us out of death into life. So Jesus is leading us. We are on a journey, and that's what we looked at. And so as, as Jesus is our great apostle, the one who is leading us in our life, in this life's journey, we are to consider him, have our eyes focused on him. Therefore, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. He said the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and some of them grumbled and some of them sinned and some of them rebelled and they never reached the promised land because they did not focus upon God's will for their lives. They did not reach the promised rest. He said, look, we're on a journey. Jesus is leading us through. And the natural, the just natural conclusion of that is that we would continue on so that we might reach that perfect Sabbath rest in glory. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So there you have, consider Jesus, the apostle of our confession. Therefore, let's press on in following Christ. All right, then he says Jesus is the high priest of our faith. That is, he is a priest appointed. A priest is someone who brings God to man and man to God. A priest is someone who, uh, through whom God works to bring about the worship of his name and, and, and bringing and giving of glory to him uh, in the old covenant through the sacrificial system. Jesus is, however, our high priest. He's not a priest like the old covenant priests. He's not a priest who depends upon genealogy in order to be a priest. It's not just a matter of DNA for him to be a priest, but rather it is because God has designated him as the high priest of our confession. God has set him up as our high priest. And he's a priest like none other. That's why we talked about a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Do you remember that? Yes, you do. Just nod yes or we'll be here for a very long time. But he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a priest who does not depend upon lineage, but simply the appointment of God. He's not a priest who, who must sacrifice for his own sins, but he is a priest who sacrifices his own blood for the sins of the nation. He is a unique high priest. And so consider Jesus, the high priest of our confession, the one through whom we enter into the presence of God. That's why we spent so much time, as does the book of Hebrews, talking about the Old Testament uh, temple and tabernacle. The tabernacle simply a permanent expression of uh, or the temple, a permanent expression of the tabernacle. When the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, wherever they set up camp, they would set up the tabernacle that tabernacle representing and focusing on the presence of God. You'd go in first confronted with the need for your forgiveness of sins, then the holy place, then the holy of holies, all accentuating the holiness and inapproachability of God. And yet through the blood of the sacrifice, you could come to know the presence of God. And the high priest once a year could enter into the holy of holies, but he had to take in blood, blood for the sins of the people and blood for his own sins. But when Jesus entered into the true Holy of Holies, he took his own blood, sacrificing his own life for our sin. And Jesus Christ died once and for all, the perfect sacrifice never to be repeated again. He is the high, high priest of our confession. And so consider him. Understand that that's who he is. Look over at, at chapter 10, verse 21.
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, by the way, that's grace. That's grace. Whom would we choose to be the high priest over the household of God? Would we appoint a priest search committee and go out and get resumes, interview candidates, bring in a priest for a trial priest thing? At best, we would come up with the best of the worst. For all we could come up with would be another sinner who would have to sacrifice for his own sin first. But God appointed our high priest. God in his grace purposed before you and I were born that Jesus would die for our sins. God in his grace decreed that Jesus Christ would be the perfect sacrifice before the foundation of the world. This is what God was doing out of his great love, uh, compassion, and mercy for us. And so when you read that verse, don't just slide over it. It's not just, well, here's a summary of what I just said. It is the grace of God just flowing out on top of us and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so that's the book of Hebrews right there consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith he's an apostle because he leads us through life He's the apostle because he's leading us to the perfect rest in, in, in God the Father. He's the high priest because he offers a perfect sacrifice once for all with no need ever to be repeated in order that we might enter into the holies of holies, into the very presence of God. So consider Jesus. Have your minds focused on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our faith. That's the book of Hebrews. Then he goes on, chapter 11. He says, and here's how we latch into that. We do that by faith. He has that great catalog of of, of the old covenant saints, uh, those who by faith uh, were true to the calling of God. They, They kept going when the problems of the moment loomed large. They looked past the problems of the moment to the promises of God, and they kept on pressing on, knowing that the things of earth and the things that are temporal around us count for nothing. It's only the eternal, majestic glory of God that counts. And so they kept pressing on for that. That was all of chapter 11 and, uh, and the need for faith. And so that's Hebrews. Consider Jesus the apostle, high priest of our faith. Therefore, we respond by faith to Christ. That's the whole book right there. Now, last week we looked at what this looks like in daily life. Randy helped us understand some of the things as, as you tease out what this, this faith means and how that, that works out in our, in our Christian lives. But what I want to do this morning is sort of wrap it all together and use verses 11 through 16 of Hebrews 13 uh, in order to just sort of bring it all together. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you the answer for your life. You didn't know I could do that. I'm going to give you the answer for everything that's going on in your life, no matter what it is. All right? Take notes on this. This this will answer everything you need in life. I'll give it to you even before we turn to the text. Let us go out to him outside the camp. Let us go to Jesus outside the camp. Now, I suspect at least one of you is saying to himself, huh? Or in the Greek, 
huh, us? If there's two of you, huh, oi? I mean, didn't you expect something better than that? I mean, around here we keep saying, the most practical thing you can do with your life is live for the glory of God. And that's true. The most practical thing you can do with your life is to live for the glory of God. Just seal that in your head. And so I come along and say, let's go to Jesus outside the camp. Say, I don't even like camping. How's that going to happen? I want to tease that out for us and show you how going out to Jesus outside the camp is actually what we mean when we say live for the glory of God. All right? So let's, let's look at it and see if we can't see that. All right. uh, let me give you the setup. That's in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Are you lost? Here's what's going on. You know, on those daily sacrifices, when the priest would take the sacrificial animal and, and it would be slain and the blood would be dispersed and, and, and so forth, uh, and part of the animal would be, be, would be consumed on the, uh, on the altar, so it would be burned up, the rest of the animal was left. You had a lot of the animal left. What did they do with that? Uh, the technical term for what the priest did with the animal after the sacrifice, they would take the body of the animal and they did what was called a bar BQ. In Hebrew, that means son of BQ. I mean, they ate the thing. I mean, it was there, it supplied the needs of the priest. They, uh, th this was their, their food supply. So, what would happen is, as they brought daily sacrifices for individual sins, uh, the, the sacrifice would be all offered, and then the, the, the body of the animal then was consumed by the priest. And that's, that's the normal course of events. But when you got to the Day of Atonement, when the bull was sacrificed, and it was not sacrificed for sins, but it was sacrificed for sin. It was sacrificed for the sin nature of the people. It was sacrificed because sin inhabited the people themselves. Then that body, the bull, the body that was left over was taken outside the camp. Taken outside the camp. And there it was totally and completely burned. It was entirely consumed by fire. It was not given to the priests. It was not given to the people. It was not used for any other purpose. It had been designated as the sacrifice for the sin of the people and therefore it was consumed outside the camp, outside the tap outside the, the, the enclosure, outside where the people uh, were not camping and living. It was consumed, burned outside the camp. That's what he's talking about. He said on that day of atonement when the sin of the people was being forgiven, that body was taken outside the camp. Now, here's the deal. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. Jesus suffered outside the gate. You know, we have this picture of the cross in our minds, don't we? On a hill far away. And it's this majestic hill and set against a beautiful sunset, just the silhouette of the cross. Let me tell you what happened. Inside the city, they put the cross on the shoulders of Christ. 
and the crowd that yelled, crucified him. They didn't just stay back there and say, well, now our job is done. They went with him jeering and taunting, insulting, blaspheming against Christ. And as he carried the weight of the cross out of the city, he would stumble and get up and stumble and get up. And the Roman soldiers thought, hey, this is funny. Let's get a foreigner. You, Simon of Cyrene, you come in here. You pick up the cross of Christ. By the way, when we get to heaven, we tell our testimonies. And when we hear Simon say, I carried the cross of Jesus, you and I are going to, without regret, there's no regret in heaven. But we're going to say, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd been there. But they carried the cross to the place of execution. Now, it wasn't a lonely hill far away waiting for an artist to paint it. It was rather just a raised area just outside the gate, just outside the city gate. Why? Because if you're a Roman and you're executing people, you want everyone who walks in the city to see someone dying under the power of Rome. And as you walked in, that person dying would say, you had better toe the line, you had better behave, you had better play ball with the Roman powers, because if you step out of line, this is what happens to you. It was a place of shame, and it was a place of reproach, and it was outside the city gate. And the crowd gathered around, and they taunted, and they jeered. And that's how Jesus died. Because the sacrifice for sin is burned outside the gate, so too, therefore, Scripture says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. That's why he did it, to make them holy, to make us like God, not in power and authority, but to make us holy and righteous, to reflect the nature of God. To reflect who he is. That's what it means, to make you holy, that he might sanctify the people. So Jesus died outside the gate, outside the camp, in reproach, outside the camp, that he might sanctify the people. Verse 13, therefore, by the way, this next verse won't make a lick of sense if you haven't read the whole book of Hebrews. It's sort of like we needed the whole book as background to get to this verse. Therefore, says all that stuff back there, here's why it was there. Okay, uh, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Let us go outside the camp. See, this was the whole problem. This was the whole problem with the readers of the book of Hebrews. They were tempted to stay inside the camp, inside the synagogue, first of all. Stay inside the Old Covenant. Stay inside the synagogue. It's safe in here. If you keep your head down, nobody will persecute you. If you just go to synagogue, nobody will take away your business. Nobody will take away your home. You won't lose your job. People won't laugh at you. You won't be ridiculed in the press. All you have to do is make sure that you stay inside the camp where it's safe, and there you'll have, you'll, you'll have some safety. So that was the first thing. Let's stay inside the camp. But believers have always been tempted to stay inside the camp. See, staying inside the camp is easier to do. It's easier to stay inside the camp and look like the world and act like the world and think like the world. Take the world's values. Take the world's priorities. Let the world tell you what is right and wrong morally. It's just easier to, to, to stick with the world. The world will leave you alone. As long as you live like the world. So, so we're, we're tempted to stay inside the camp. 
We're, we're tempted to stay inside the camp of just what comes naturally to us. Naturally, we want a little bit of religion, but who wants to be a fanatic? By the way, I do. But you know, just a little bit of religion, that, that takes care of that, and then, then we need a little bit of well-rounded uh, uh, over here, and so we engage in the entertainment and the diversions of the world, and we, we start to think like the world, and think what the world says is important is actually important, and we stay inside the camp. And here's the answer for your life. Go to Jesus outside the camp. Go to Jesus outside the camp. Now that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. Because when you go to Jesus, a lot of times you wind up at dinner parties where that woman has come in and is washing the feet of Jesus. And everybody knows what that woman does for a so-called living. And if you go to Jesus outside the camp, you're bound to wind up next to people that you don't like and you don't care for, but that God loves and for whom Jesus died. Let us go to Jesus outside the camp. It's a hard thing to go to Jesus outside the camp. Because when you do, he starts saying things to you like, you see that 5,000 people? They need something to eat. You guys go feed them. What? Yeah, you guys go feed them. All we got are... A couple of loaves and some fish. You guys feed them. When you go to Jesus outside the camp, suddenly you find out that he wants you to minister in his name and to show the compassion and love and the grace of God. Going to Jesus outside of the camp is a hard thing to do. You remember that uh, Jesus oftentimes told his disciples, he said, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and when I get there, they're going to beat me. They're going to torment me. They're going to whip me. They're going to crucify me. Their minds stopped right there. Then I will rise again. They didn't, never heard that part, but they heard he, he was going to die in Jerusalem. And Peter starts saying, no, 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 Jesus, that, that, that won't ever happen. That's not in the charts that I got in the back of the book. The day came when Jesus looked at his disciples. He says, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. They all said, Jesus, don't go. Even we can see they're going to kill you. I mean, they're after you now. You've, you've really bugged them this time. They're going to kill you. He said, no, I'm going to Jerusalem. He got up, he went to Jerusalem. And you remember Thomas? Courageous Thomas. Faithful Thomas. Trusting Thomas. Remember what he said? Let us go also that we may die with him. When you go to Jesus, it's not easy. He doesn't call you to prosperity, to health, and to wealth. He doesn't call you to just stand out over everybody else with a life that's better than everybody else. He doesn't call you to the easy track of promotions up to the top of the corporate ladder. He calls us to a cross. He calls us to die. But let us go to Jesus outside the camp. If only we could get our heads straight on what's really important in life. What really matters in life? This next week, you're going to have an opportunity to go to Jesus outside the camp. It's going to happen in your home. Ladies, it's going to happen when he's wrong. You know he's wrong. You're convinced he's wrong. He's not, but you think he is. 
And every fiber of your being is going to want to dress him down and tell him what's what and, and set him straight and make sure he never, ever thinks that thing again. And at that moment, go to Jesus outside the camp. It won't be easy. It'll be hard. Go to Jesus outside the camp and let the love and the compassion and the mercy and the understanding and the sympathy of Christ govern the next words that come out of your mouth. You'll have a chance to go to Jesus outside the camp when you get to work. And that group of folks that have been bugging you all this time or that one employee who won't do her job right or that, felt, that co-worker who's constantly, you know, sort of distorting things and leaving you on the short end. And every part of you says, you know, just for her own good or his own good, I really need to tell him what's what and give him a piece of my mind because they don't have any. Go to Jesus outside the camp and let the sacrificial love and mercy of Christ govern the next thing you do. You're going to have a chance to go to Jesus outside the camp the next time you cut off in traffic. You'll have a chance to respond by going to Jesus outside the camp. You see, this will transform your life. It's not that much different than the most practical thing you can do with your life is live for the glory of God. Here's what that means. Go to Jesus outside the camp, outside the normal, outside the world outside what anybody else would do. Go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Unashamed to be identified with his cross and unashamed to take whatever comes our way because of our faith in Christ. Go to him outside the camp. If they want to take away our business, we have a business in heaven. If they want to take away our homes, we have a home in heaven. If they want to take away our families, we have a family in heaven. They want to take away all that the world counts dear. We have something that is more precious than gold waiting for us in heaven. Go to him outside the camp. Go to him outside the camp. All right, let's finish off this parable. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Why do you want to stay in the old city? Go outside the gate. Go outside of the camp to Christ. Why, why would you stay in a city that's going to pass away? We have a city, well, as, uh, as uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Abraham was looking for a city not made with hands. A city that cannot be shaken, cannot be removed. That's the city we have. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let us be just continually offering up that sacrifice of praise. Very quickly, do not neglect to do good and to share um, um, what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. By the way, that verse, verse 16, uh, if, if you took that out and just sort of typed it up and had somebody cross-stitch it and put it over your kitchen door or something, Sounds like work religion. Do good and share what you have. Now, folks, do good and share what you have. But this is response to Jesus. It's not in order to get to Jesus. This is what we do when we've gone to Jesus outside the camp, not what we do in order to make Jesus cross the line and come back into us. See the difference? This is what we do when we cross the line and go outside the gate and go to Jesus outside the camp. We begin to do good, share what you have. In other words, we begin to look an awful lot like Jesus Christ. 
And that's doing pretty good. So there's the book of Hebrews for you. Consider Jesus the apostle, the high priest of our faith. Keep your eyes focused on him and go to him. You see, the Christian life is a journey toward Christ. The Christian life is a journey toward Christ. Let us go to him outside the camp. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you to do every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to give us the courage of faith to turn our backs on the world and turn our eyes to Christ, to come to where he is outside the camp, so that we might serve him and honor him, glorify him. Father, that our lives would be vessels of praise to your glory. Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would be outpoured on one who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would work that perfect work of conviction, and that you would bring about the confession. Father, that by the power of your Spirit, those who are apart from the kingdom would come by confession of faith to know Christ as Lord. Father, go with us, watch over us, lead us, all in Jesus' name.